The Football Pod with Paddy and Andy. It's All Ireland final week. Anything to say, boys? No, it's great to be here. It's How would you stop? <laughs> Download the OTB Sports app and subscribe to the GAA podcast feed now. And you're very welcome along to The Snap, your American football show here on Off The Ball. We are brought to you as ever in association with the Aer Lingus College Football Classic, Northwestern versus Nebraska at the Viva Stadium on Saturday, August 27th, 2022. Check out collegefootballireland.com for full details. The brand new website is now live. We're back this week as we begin the countdown to the new NFL season, just a few hours away on this Thursday afternoon. I'm Ronan Mullen. And alongside me to chat through all the main talking points, joined by Off The Ball's resident American football guru, the Shannon Sharp to my Skip Bayless. It's uh, Keen Faye. Keen, how are things? I'm glad you gave me Shannon there. Yeah, yeah that, it was, that's, uh, that's I was a compliment. Weighing, I was weighing it up to see which one you'd prefer, but you know, like they're both esteemed broadcasters. One of them had a, a decorated football career, so that's why I gave you that one. Um, we're going to get into the pick six, King, because that's what everyone's waiting for, but we'll get, we'll get on to that in a second. Just broadly speaking, the last few weeks on Off The Ball, we've been talking about who won the transfer window in Premier League terms. I was just wondering, after such a busy off-season there, trades and free agent signings and obviously the draft itself, who do you think had the best sort of off-season of all the teams in the NFL? <laughs> it's a, such a boring answer. Like, look, if we go back to last season, the Chiefs win that Super Bowl if Patrick Mahomes is anyway healthy. He clearly wasn't, and that was the, the major issue in the game. And the part of that was them missing both offensive tackles. And we can't assume they're going to be healthy, but they've brought in extra bodies. They've brought in rookies. They've brought in free agents, Joe Thune from the Patriots. They traded for Orlando Brown. Orlando Brown isn't necessarily a great left tackle project there because he's been a right tackle for most of his career, played a little bit of left tackle last year. But just having five more bodies there up front who look like they're going to be healthy and effective for the year says to me the Chiefs are probably the winners just because it's a combination of having the best quarterback in the league and a really high level offensive line that will normally do a lot for you Uh, coincidentally even though the Ravens traded away Orlando Brown to the Chiefs they've also done a lot of good work this year on their offensive line so they're two teams that I thought had a good really good offseason but I'd probably give the Chiefs the edge just because in recent weeks, the, the Ravens have just been dealing with different injuries on the offense, which is probably going to hamper them a little bit. Either way, they're kind of the boring answers. They're the two best teams in the league, essentially. Uh, the, uh, the Cowboys will feel really good about tonight because Dak Prescott's coming back, even though it's not a free agent edition or a trade or a, even a draft pick. But, and, and then you go to the draft where you had three young quarterbacks who looked really good coming in. So there's a lot of positives and a lot of good reasons, but this is before week one. Normally after like week three, all of these things look terrible again and we're wondering who's actually bad and who's good. And just in case any Houston Texans fans want to tune out at this point, are they, did they have the worst offseason or did anyone else uh, capture your imagination and how badly they've done the last seven months? I mean, they've had bad off-seasons for a long time, and obviously with everything happening with Deshaun Watson, he's not going to be a factor. They're calling him day-to-day right now, but there are reports that he's unlikely to ever play for the team again. I, I'd imagine there's also a, a real possibility he's unlikely to ever play football again. Um, the Texans as a whole were going in a bad direction, and they relied on Watson to carry them through games a lot of the time last year, so they were already a bad team, and now you take away their best player, you take away the guy they were relying on, your new coach, you've got everything going on in there. That's It's, it, it's, it's a mess, and but that's the benefit of being in the NFL. They can be a really bad team for a while, although they've traded away picks. They can be a really bad team for a while and bounce back up and get benefits from it in the offseason. But yeah, it's hard to look past them, especially now that the Jaguars have another quarterback they're looking to to pick them up in Trevor Lawrence, who could be quite a good uh, quarterback, I think. Yeah, so we've, uh, I think we've kept the people waiting long enough. It's time for the pick six. 
I think we can all agree the most talked about agenda-setting segment in American sports, Keen. Let's, uh, let's get straight into it. Number one, Lord of the Rings, and I think we all know who I'm referring to here. This is Tom Brady, who, what is he now, 44, 54, 64? He's, uh, he's back at it again. Um, and, like, quite remarkably, this team is totally intact. Like, you think about Super Bowl winners of the past, they've sort of lost pieces here and there. The Ravens, close to my heart, Keen, as you know, in, in 2013, basically the whole team was savaged after they, they won the Super Bowl. The Tampa Bay are coming back in, in full force. Are you, I know you mentioned the Ravens and the Chiefs at the top of the show. Are Tampa Bay right there in terms of going back to back? Or where do you have them in the field for Super Bowl contention? Yeah, I think Brady would be close to retirement age if he was a guard at this stage. <laughs> um, the, it's the, the value in that team, and you mentioned it there, they retained all their pieces. The value in that team is that they're so well-rounded. Like the, Tom Brady's always going to uh, drag the attention away from everyone else. But if you look at last season, like he was the big name, the big off-season addition. He didn't really offer a huge upgrade from what was there offensively. It's that he picked the right team. He went to a team where he had a bunch of weapons. He went to a team where they had a defense that was just emerging and becoming this high-quality defense. And we saw what Jack Barrett and the rest of the defensive line did last year. They're still a terrifying team. And like tonight is the opening, ga opening game of the season. And if you look at the Cowboys, you look at the Buccaneers, like Prescott is arguably, well, fully healthy Prescott. He's probably not fully healthy right now. But at this stage of his career, he's arguably a better player individually than Tom Brady is. But because the offense there is, well, actually, to be honest, if you talk about the offense, the offenses are quite similar. But once you jump to the defensive side, there's just a massive difference between that Buccaneers pass rush, between those linebackers who can cover every inch of the field, and the secondary being just good enough to complement the pass rush and the linebackers. And that's going to be a completely difference in this game because the Cowboys defensively are a mess. So that's going to be the way they go through this season, where if they can't beat you in one way, they'll beat you in another way. Because Brady will have his good games, he'll have his more average games because of his age. Even in the playoffs last year, he struggled quite a bit at times. But the team is good enough around him to offset that. So when Brady has good games and when Gronk is on the way he was in the Super Bowl, they'll blow teams out. So they're extremely talented. They've still got, like, and OJ Howard is going back after getting injured last year. So they've got so much talent there. They've got so many opportunities to get better and just... Even though they were the Super Bowl winners last year, and even though I kind of started this saying the Chiefs would have won if Mahomes was healthy, that's kind of always going to be the way just because of how good Mahomes is and how good that Chiefs team is. So they are going to need a little bit of luck. But they're right there in that mix at the very top again. Yeah, and I think the word unprecedented was used an unprecedented amount of times last season where that preseason that Brady had in Tampa Bay, like this year he's had a bit more customary experience where he's got maybe got into the flow of things a bit more. Like you saw last season, they were 7-5 and five before the bye week. And then they sort of cleaned house for the remainder of the season. Like they never looked back and built that sort of momentum. You'd expect them to start fast. Like there's people talking about them going undefeated with this extra game in the in the season. It's it's going to be hard to see, but they are pretty stacked. And I think most people, you think of all the people who were rumored to be leaving in the off season, they've decided to stay. So it's clearly a case of Tom Brady's on a ticking clock, and they're thinking we've one more like, shot uh, at a Super Bowl. I feel so. like Tom Brady wasn't exactly following those COVID guidelines last offseason, though, so I'm not sure how much of a benefit he's really getting this year. That's a fair point. Him and Scotty Miller were best friends. I don't know how they got so acquainted, Kane, without, uh, without throwing the ball. Well. Here we go, for sure. And in terms of the rest of the division, like we forget about the New Orleans Saints. Unfortunately, New Orleans in the, in the headlines for all the wrong reasons the last few weeks, but the, the team is, is still quite strong. If anything, you know, like Drew Brees, who I think I, I was a big fan of down the years, but was kind of on his last legs or his last arms, more to the point, in recent seasons. If anything, they've probably upgraded at that position. Do you think they're strong enough to contend elsewhere in the field, or, or what's your feeling on the Saints? 
it's fascinating because, like, for whatever you say about Drew Brees late in his career when his arm had clearly failed and his physicality was gone, he, he was just, he struggled to even move around in the pocket at times. Like, he was so old. It was it was, it was scarily how him next to Brady, Brady used to look like he was in his 20s and Brady looked like he was, or, and Brees looked like he was close to 60. But if you look over the course of his time in New Orleans, his efficiency, and not just his efficiency in terms of his stats, but the way he made decisions, the way he moved, every single thing he did was so precise, and Sean Payton could build around exactly what he knew his quarterback was going to do every single play. If he gave him a vision of one coverage, and he called a specific route combination, he knew exactly what Breeze was going to do every single time he dropped back in the pocket. With Jameis Winston, even if you're like his biggest supporter, you still will have to go, yeah, when he drops back, it's a bit bit of chaos. It's a bit of a circus. Like, he's not a running quarterback, and I know he gets labeled that because he's black just, but when he did run and run around behind the line of scrimmage and take off and scramble, it was always like a, just a car crash situation where he would just, he'd look so awkward himself. He would go into contact. He'd run into contact all the time. And that's the same way he is as a passer. He'll see windows and he'll try and throw into them that don't exist. He'll make some incredible throws, but now he doesn't have those big receivers that he had in Tampa Bay. So when he tries to make those incredible throws, they might not always come off the way they want, he wants them to, which means it's more likely that he's going to have more and more interceptions. Like when he did, when he last started, he should have had 50 interceptions in the year. He had about 20 dropped. He had 30 caught. And that's just an incredible way to play. He's exciting. He's fun. But I don't necessarily think he's going to be good. I think they're probably going to jump back and forth between him and Taysom Hill as starters over the course of the year. And I think the Saints will actually struggle quite a bit unless Alvin Kamara has a huge season, especially with everything going on with Michael Thomas there. The only thing that might make all of this irrelevant is Jameis got an eye surgery, apparently. And he's been squinting since he was in college at FSU. So maybe that makes a big change. I'm... Personally, don't believe that. I, well, I don't. It's not that I don't believe it. I, I don't anticipate it making a big change because I think most of his problems come from his lower body anyway, where his mechanics are a mess. So it's not really about what he's seeing and how he's seeing it because he can still make incredible throws and with anticipation and release the ball early and see things before they happen. So how much is eye surgery going to help him? Hey, maybe he becomes the best quarterback in the league, but maybe he's probably just going to be the same thing he's always been. And then elsewhere in that division, you've obviously got the Panthers. The biggest news for them is Christian McCaffrey is back and. He only played, I think, three games last season, so obviously they're marquee talent, and if they're going to do anything in this division, he'll be key. And then the Falcons are relatively interesting, Keen. Obviously, Julio Jones made headlines for his departure, and the manner of his departure, we were speaking about Shannon Sharp earlier, he kind of let the cat out of the bag on that one, but Julio Jones is gone, but Kyle Pitts is in, and you know the coach, the coach is being lauded, if you're looking at pre-season coach of the year contenders, I think... Um, the Falcons have a contender right there. So I was just wondering what your thoughts on the Falcons are. Have, are they in contention in this division or is it sort of a rebuild year? Well, they're in an interesting place because you could argue that should have moved on from Matt Ryan last year too because he's on the older stage of his career. But they're, I, I'd say they're similar to Philip Rivers' final years in Indianapolis and with the Chargers where he's doing just enough to keep them afloat and keep them in contention against good, good to average teams. But when you come against the very best, you'll probably struggle. Uh, Kyle Pitts looks fantastic. The really nice thing about him is he was a great athlete in college, but he was so refined in everything he did, which is normally the concern with those guys because when Devin Funches came out of Michigan, like all the excitement was, oh, you've got a guy who's a tight end who runs like a receiver, who can play like a receiver. But when you went, went back and watched Devin Funches, all he was doing was dropping the ball and not understanding how to run routes. And now you've got Pitts, who's an actual receiver in a tight end body, which is what everyone wants these days. The Patriots went out and signed two tight ends this offseason and build their offense around tight ends again after losing Gronk and the other uh, players they'd had over the years to complement Gronk. So Pitts could completely change the way their offense works. 
I, I think the, the coaching change is interesting, though, because they're going very different uh, scheme and philosophy-wise. You'd expect them to be looking to run the ball a lot more, which I'm not sure the personnel there is set up for it. One of the interesting aspects of their team is on the offensive line, they drafted two first-round picks, uh, is it two years ago now? Or, or last year or the year before, either. Caleb McGarry didn't get uh, going initially, and then on the inside at right guard, who uh, Chris Lindstrom was there. They're very talented players, but it hasn't really come together as a full unit yet with Jake Matthews on left tackle as well. They could be one of those teams. Actually, the year the Falcons went to the Super Bowl and lost to the Patriots, that was a year in the offseason in August. We were kind of looking at that team going, yeah, they have a couple of stars, but overall they're just lacking talent. They don't look like they're going to be a great team. They haven't got guys who've established themselves, and they kind of came from nowhere. It wouldn't be a major surprise if they, if something like that happened again this year, but you probably wouldn't bet on it. They'll be, they'll benefit from the Saints slacking off a bit, and I think the Panthers will probably struggle, so the Falcons will be able to take advantage of that. And when you're in the NFL season, even with one extra game this year, having a weak division can do wonders for you. Yeah, and we're on to the East now. We call it the least last season, Keen, because it was so sort of grim. But Dak Street's back is number two in the pick six. You alluded to him at the top of the show. And if the Cowboys are going to do anything this year, it's going to be built around him, not the carousel of quarterbacks they were using last season. So are they, in your, to your mind, are they the favourites for this division? Or would you still have Washington on the strength of that defence? Are they still the ones to beat? Well, first off, Dak Street back is the first. You've already got me shaking my head. It's <laughs> very early in the year to be just. Here, like, listen, oh, if people God. aren't familiar with the pick six, if the wordplay is terrible, it's supposed to be terrible. If the wordplay is oh. good, it's supposed to be exemplary and it's all, it's all down to me. So. Ronan, the problem is I'm familiar with it and I still have to shake my head listening to it. Um, yeah, so like the NFC East last year, it can't get worse. But they've added Ryan Fitzpatrick, so maybe it's going to get worse. <laughs> I mean, a 40-year-old Ryan Fitzpatrick is hardly someone you want to be putting down as your favourite. So you have to look at the Cowboys and think, yeah, they are probably the easiest choice. Like, the, uh, the Eagles obviously traded away Carson Wentz. They look like they're taking a step back with Jalen Hurts. Not necessarily because of Jalen Hurts, just because the direction of the team as a whole doesn't seem to be building to contend right now. They seem to be trying to enter a reset period, kind of a soft reset, where they're seeing what Hurts has. They're seeing what they can get from him to move uh, forward. Um I guess you've got to look at the Giants then. The Giants versus the Cowboys as the best teams. With Washington, if Ryan Fitzpatrick can be effective. We've just tried this so many times. The benefit there for Washington is the defense looks like it's going to be incredible again. But we saw last year that you can, you can only really go as far as your quarterback can take you once you reach a certain time of the year, once you get to the playoffs. And I just you're not going to trust Ryan Fitzpatrick at that point. He'll throw too many turnovers. He'll have too many mistakes. He'll miss too many opportunities. So maybe he's good enough for them to win the division, but that means it's going to be a bad division again like it was last year. The upside here is if Dak Prescott is fully healthy and effective, which is a tough ta- tough ask because he's coming off that uh, broken ankle where he couldn't even feel his toes. He had, like the, I was just reading earlier, the first thing he had to learn this year was how to, or in his rehab, was how to wiggle his toes again. He didn't even know how to do that. So that's how devastating that, in, uh, that injury was. And he also has had a shoulder issue recently as well. So me, generally, when a quarterback misses that much time, regardless of it's, if he's hurt or if he's suspended or if he's fully healthy the whole time, if you just miss that much time, it's really it takes a couple of weeks to get your rhythm back and get your timing back and just get your comfort back because it's such a, a precarious position to be in with these pass rushers trying to murder you and you trying to throw the ball into windows that are disappearing all the time. So I think Dak is going to have a couple of weeks where he's got to, got to kind of adjust and get back to where he needs to be, which could be the difference in this division because if you start off on a losing streak, especially in week one going to Tampa Bay, it's probably going to be a loss. Like Maybe they get the upset there, but it would be a big upset. So... I think that you're kind of, I'm kind of talking myself through the division. I'm getting to the Giants. 
Oh, now that's a challenge. Like maybe Daniel Jones takes a step forward. They added Kadarius Tony, who looks like a fantastic receiver, but it feels like they've got ten of the same type of receiver and type of offensive weapon in their team. We're talking about Dak coming back, Saquon Barkley's coming back. He's going to play this week, but he's not going to be Saquon Barkley of previous years, where he was carrying the ball twenty-five to thirty times and finishing the game with one hundred and eighty yards, despite his offensive line not blocking anyone through the whole game. So if if Barkley's fully effective after a couple of weeks. If Dak's fully effective after a couple of weeks, I think you'll probably see a race between those two teams, which is great for the for the NFL as a whole because that means you've got New York and Dallas as markets in a in, in a competitive race. But even then, like I, I ask you, can you see any of these teams winning ten games, winning eleven games? Oh, actually, I've got to change that now because I've got to adjust to an extra <laughs> season. Can you see any of these teams winning eleven or twelve games? I I find it hard. No, like if we talk about defense wins championships, not that any of these teams are in the conversation for that, but they're all, apart from Washington, quite weak. And then if you look at the upside of the ball for them, they just have nothing much going for them at the quarterback position. So as you mentioned, it's going to be difficult. The Dallas Cowboys will be worth watching if for no other reason that they've got that such array of talent. And if, if Prescott can stay on the field, he'll have great options to throw to. Ezekiel looks aesthetically at least in good condition, but we know the trajectory of quarter or of running backs isn't necessarily the later to go into their 20s doesn't ex- necessarily excel which is why Le'Veon Bell signed for the Ravens I'm not quite sure about that game but we might get to that later on for now we're going to move I, on to Roland, we should say before we move on, though, this division has some incredible wide receivers in it. Yeah, yeah. So, like, see, we get to see C.D. Lamb properly this year because after Dak got hurt last year, he wasn't getting any service. And Mary Cooper and Michael Gallup are obviously establishing really, really good. But when I mentioned Ryan Fitzpatrick, we should note, Terry McLaurin looks like he's going to be an unbelievable superstar of, like, generational-level quality. And with Ryan Fitzpatrick, as bad as Ryan Fitzpatrick is, he'll throw the ball up for grabs, yeah. which means we'll get loads of spectacular catches, hopefully. No, you're right about the, the Dallas wide receivers in particular. It's sort of, we talk about wide receiver one, wide receiver two. They've got basically three wide receiver ones there. So if they can get them sort mm-hmm. of on song, they're going to be a matchup nightmare. So expect a lot of shootouts when the Cowboys are involved. Tonight should be interesting. Number three in the pick six, Aaron Islands. So Aaron Rodgers has been away, been away on his holidays, hasn't exactly turned up for prescribed team meetings, if we put it that way, Keen. Um, has got, kind of got his act together now. You saw him with Gudekunst and the boys sort of. I think they've reacquainted with themselves and for now at least it does seem like a plaster over a gaping crack here where I think he's going to be gone this time next year one way or another but they're going to have one more shot at it Randall Cobb's back in situ and the team hasn't changed overly beyond that at least on the offensive side of the ball Aaron Jones has stayed at least would you make the Packers favourites for this division or any runners and riders beyond them? And now I'm all I'm picturing is Aaron Rodgers in a woolly jumper sat in Lambeau <laughs> or sat in... He's more of a California guy too, though, isn't he? That's a, anyway, um, yeah, so I, I think like it, we're kind of in the same place with the Packers this year as we were last year. Like Even with Aaron Jones being back, Aaron Jones was meant to be a free agent and they were meant to rely on the running back they drafted in the second round last year. And instead they just brought him back. So now we're in the same position where you've got Aaron Rodgers, an okay offensive line, a great running back, a great wide receiver one, a really good emerging tight end, and then pretty much everything else is the same, and there's nothing really there. So it's hard to see how they've gotten better since last year. Defensively, they've added nothing of major significance as far as I can tell. Like It doesn't seem like they're going to be a completely revamped team or they're going to have a, a new philosophy or anything like that. So based on that alone, you make them the favorites for the division. But that's not really the conversation with Aaron Rodgers at this stage of his career. Aaron Rodgers is looking at Super Bowls. He's not looking at the division. He's won the division 20 times over. He doesn't need to win it again. Can he go there and beat the Bucs? 
they nearly beat the Bucks last year, I guess, but it was also such a struggle and such a reliance. Like in that game, Tom Brady threw a bunch of interceptions and made a, quite a few awful, awful decisions that no one ever remembers, and it doesn't matter because they beat them as a, they beat them easily as a team as a whole. If you get that bad performance from Brady again and you still lose to them again, that means if you get an even average or good performance from Brady against the same Bucks team, why can we expect anything to be any different? And this is the reason Aaron Rodgers has been unhappy there for quite a while. They just don't make aggressive moves. They don't go out and get a Julio Jones. They don't go out and make, spend money in free agency and add a big weapon who's going to change the way their offense works. They just retain their own pieces and keep going and keep trying the same guys. Like, essentially, what they're doing is hoping that Alan Lazard or Marcos Valdez-Scantling is a star again this year, even though neither of them have ever shown to be. Yeah, I think Stephen A. Smith described Aaron Rodgers as a deodorant quarterback in the sense that he covers up what ails the Packers. <laughs> and it is actually has been true for large swathes of his career. Even as a non-Packers fan, I am an Aaron Rodgers fan because the talent he brings to the field is comparable to anything you see in any realm of sport. So the fact that he only has one Super Bowl is a bit of a, a joke. And the fact that the team haven't backed him to that end is, is equally so. So I kind of hope he played a pretty flawless season last year. He couldn't have done much more. And I, if he can get back to those levels, you'd like to think the Packers will be in contention, but they've already been to back-to-back championship games, and to go to three in a row would be some achievement. So I kind of hope for his sake that he, he gets another crack at it, but if he goes for passers new after this, we might touch on the Broncos later, we might not, but it looks like they're in a holding pattern, waiting to see if Rodgers will be available next, um, next year. In terms of the rest of that division, the Vikings are sort of back in rude health a little bit. Kirk Cousins, notwithstanding his anti-COVID agenda, we might have to touch on as the season progresses if he does end up missing games. But, th- but they're still there. Chicago are a little bit more interesting in terms of the quarterback they're choosing not to start the season with. Um, Justin Fields, who I thought was probably, on, on the whole, probably the second-best quarterback out of that draft class. It didn't pan out as such in terms of who went where. But I think it's only a matter of time before he sees the field. If the... If the Packers are going to be upset in this division, Keen. Is it going to be the Vikings, or do you think the Bears can can muster something out of nowhere? Whew, there's a choice to make, isn't there? Uh, the Vikings, I'm guessing. Like you get Daniel Hunter back fully healthy. He can be effective and be disruptive and lead that defense. Harrison Smith just got a new contract. They're retaining all their pieces from last year. Are they making any major strides forward? Probably not, but Justin Jefferson in year two could be phenomenal. Uh, losing Irv Smith is a big deal, I think. He just went down for the season. He was going to be replacing Kyle Rudolph. He was such a dynamic receiving option. He was really underused previously while Rudolph was there. With Dalvin Cook, if he stays healthy, the, the offense will work. And Cousins, like... For as bad as Cousins has been, or how limited Cousins has been at times over the course of his career, last year he was pretty good and he was pretty effective. So if they get the same season from him again, and if the pieces work the way you hope them to with Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, and Zimmer's defense plays the way Zimmer expects his defense to play, they could be they could push the Packers. But I, honestly, all I want to talk about here is Dan Campbell. Like, <laughs> how do you hire Dan Campbell? And he's he's a literal South Park character. I think they had a, a character in South Park who was just looking after uh, PR or not PR. Uh, politically correct, a political correctness officer, and he just reminds me of him all the time, where he's just coming in and grunting and kind of giving out about things and just being the, the toughest man in the room every yeah. single time. It's, it's astonishing to me that the Lions somehow looked, went into this offseason and was like, all right, that's the guy we need, and we're going to put him with Jared Goff. Jared Goff, the most relaxed, <laughs> couldn't be intense guy in the world, went, grew up in California, all about California. It's like, what, what are we doing here? Uh, I, I think that's going to be a spectacular disaster. So let's try and end this division on a positive. Justin Fields, I think, is going to be a really good quarterback if he's given the opportunity to develop that way. The question marks there for me are the offensive line and the coaching staff. The coaching staff has proven itself over and over again. It's incapable of doing what it's supposed to do. Maybe they're just trying to protect Fields right now early on, and that's why they're kind of making Andy Dalton the sacrificial lamb. But it feels like they're just 
holding fields back because that's going to be their argument for keeping their jobs. So this, this is a, a time-honored tradition in the NFL. When a coach feels under the hot seat or when he feels like he's not going to keep his job, he keeps the quarterback back. So if he loses the first couple of games, he can go, well, wait, you've got to give me a chance to work with the new quarterback. He's going to come in. He's going to come in and be great. And inevitably, they just lose their jobs anyway because one quarterback, a rookie quarterback, isn't going to change everything. Hopefully, they play to his strengths and they set the team up properly. It's it's a big... Like, Allen Robinson being there will obviously be, be helpful, but... Overall, the talent isn't really that high. So what you're looking at from Fields is performance rather than statistics or, or rather than wins. You're just looking to see if he shows composure and if he's comfortable on the field. And I think he will. I think he's a good quarterback, and I think he deserved to probably go higher than he did in the draft. No, 100% agree. And uh, the Bears are a bit of a sleeping giant, so I'm glad, at least for their fans' sake, that they have a QB that can potentially hang their hat on going forward. Andy Dalton for the time being. His, that red shot of hair will actually blend well with the jersey. If nothing else, if he doesn't actually produce anything talent-wise, at least he'd look pretty good in the in the Cowboys or in the Bears uniform. We move on to number four in the pick six, New England Revolution. Keen, do you know in sports when giants are toppled and they kind of go into the wilderness for a few years? It feels like the Patriots did that for one season and decided, no, 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 we're gonna we're gonna throw loads of money at this. We're gonna get our new franchise quarterback who's basically just a prototype of Tom Brady. In the aesthetically, at least, are they back? So you're saying they they went into the wilderness and then they saw Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne as their their way to savior Hunter Henry. Well, they, they spent like was it over two hundred million in free agency, which is such a departure from what Belichick would normally do, where he's normally getting lads like myself and yourself off the street and and plugging plugging them in. So, like, if anything. People like to think Belichick is a detached, sort of inhumane character, but he would have seen what Brady did in his first season out of that sort of conscious uncoupling that those two had, and Brady went and won a Super Bowl straight away. So don't don't even try and suggest that he's not thinking, you know, I want to get him back for that. So the, like, if anything, I don't know how you rate the players they've brought in, or if you think Mac Jones is all that, but I think um, I think Belichick is thinking in the next couple of seasons they want to be back challenging. Believe me, if he pulls me out to play in a football field, that Shannon Sharp uh, comparison is going to fall <laughs> apart very quickly. Um, no, I, I, Belichick said that he had planned this, and it was the idea all along because they knew they were going to be in cap trouble once Brady left. Like They were still paying Brady, or not paying him. He was still coming against their cap, at least last year. So they were hamstrung in what they could do. I actually think they've handled it really, really well. Um, the the offseason, they signed a lot of good players, I think. They probably overpaid Matt Judon, but they're the type of team that has always valued a, a defensive end who doesn't necessarily have to be a great pass rusher because they'll use him in different ways. So that's that's fine. Defensively, they've added a couple of nice pieces, but offensively is where the real changes come from. Losing Tooney is a big deal. That's, that's going to hurt. But Henry and John Smith together is actually a really nice combination because John Smith's a great blocker who is also a pretty good receiver. So if you have him blocking all day all game, you're still getting big value from him. Hunter Henry is a great receiver who's good enough as a blocker. So you can use the two of them together all the time, and you can use the two of them to keep the defense off balance. I joked about Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne, but Aguilar had a great year last year with the Raiders. Like His problem has only ever really been catching the ball, and he's always been a little bit of a scapegoat in Philadelphia because his drop issues weren't actually that bad. They just came up in big moments. Like He had deep drops. He had drops in the end zone, and that's where it really hurt him. Overall, he was actually more efficient than his reputation suggests. And Kendrick Bourne had... Uh, pretty good year in San Francisco when given minimal opportunities. But obviously they'll be looking towards Mac Jones and the running game with uh, Deontay Harris, who's, who's going to be the main guy now. So the offseason for the Patriots, it really kind of hinges on what you think about Mac Jones. And a lot of people looked at Mac Jones and went, place for Alabama, AJ McCarron, he's just AJ McCarron, he's going to be terrible in the NFL because he's playing at Alabama where he's got all these great players. And it didn't help uh, Mac Jones that 
all of his receivers were considered superstar talents, and a lot of them got drafted in the first round. And when you actually go back and look through it, yeah, the receivers are pretty good. They're pretty damn good. But what Mac Jones was doing was really high level as well. He's not this phenomenal athlete. He's not this guy who's coming out and doing spectacular plays. But what he does really well and was doing really well in college is create space for his receivers with his eyes. He understands coverages at such a high level and he understands how to move defenders that his receivers look like they're wide open because they ran a great route or because they're really fast. But oftentimes it's because the quarterback has moved the cover, a, a, a deep safety out of his position with his eyes and then come back to throw to the proper receiver, to the proper spot, or he's manipulated a linebacker underneath. And he's doing that already in preseason. And I think that's probably where Belichick decided, okay, let's move forward with him as our starter. Let's move on from Cam right now and let's just be all in on him. And he's going to struggle for the first couple of weeks because all rookies struggle initially. But we're going to rely on the running game. We're going to give him two tight ends. Tight ends are typically easier to throw to than receivers for rookie quarterbacks just because of the routes they run and the size of their bodies. So I think they're set up really, really well here. And it's going to be such an incredibly good matchup in week one against the Dolphins. And the simple matter or the simple reason for that is the Dolphins have a great roster and the coaching staff looks pretty good. But Tua is still a major question mark. He was not good as a rookie, and he showed major limitations. So if Tua takes a step forward, we've got a really good team. If Tua is where he was last year, we've got a really good game, a competitive game between two teams that are kind of similar that built are at different stages of their building processes, but similarly built, so the contrast in styles will be there. And if Tua is not good, if he's actually flatly bad, then you get Jacoby Brissett in, who could completely change the way that offense works and the way that uh, defense work, or that way that team works because he throws the ball deep with greater proficiency than uh, Tua did last year. Yeah, no, it's, it's a fair point. And like this division for years had an absence of drama where it was a procession for the Patriots for close to two decades, whereas now you've got the Bills are obviously the pick of the teams in this division, Keen seriously impressive last year and Josh Allen's right up there in terms of MVP chatter heading into this season like he came on leaps and bounds to what extent he can remain on that sort of upward trajectory I'm not sure but are the Bills beyond being favourites for this division can you see them knocking on the door to win the championship or get to a Super Bowl? I think they'll actually regress. I think um, they're very similar. Actually, the Falcons, I'm getting mentioning the Falcons team again for some reason. The year Matt Ryan won the MVP, he had a season where his receivers dropped very few passes and his opposing defenders dropped a lot of his interceptions. And then the next year, it came back to reality a little bit and he just came back to the pack. He was still a good quarterback, but he wasn't at the heights with Aaron Rodgers and with the greats he was being compared to the previous year. I think that's the same situation here. You had a great offensive line in Buffalo last year. You had receivers who were played out of their minds and all the weapons in the offense was perfect. Now, that's not to say they'll be a bad team. I think they'll be right in the mix in the AFC East. But I definitely see them as, and similar to the Browns, actually, who we'll get to, I think I see both of them as kind of peaking a little bit last year. They'll come back down to earth a little bit this year, and then maybe they can build from there again to become into a contender. It doesn't feel like they added big pieces or they added uh, difference makers in the offseason to become great players. And you're like, if you go back to that playoff game when they lost to the Chiefs, a big part of that was Allen missing a lot of throws and, and giving opportunity, opportunities to intercept the ball away as well, which was a, a theme of the season. So he got so much better from year to year so far in his career, it's very possible that he gets takes another huge step and becomes that incredibly elite quarterback and that superstar that he's been talked about. But I don't think that's where he is just yet. If he has another, uh, it, it, obviously in, in week one, it's completely uh, random essentially because we don't know anything because it's been eight months since all these guys have played. But if he takes that step forward, he'll be great. If he stays where he is, I think the Bills will probably take a little bit of a step back just because they've established where they are. They're, they're, they're not an old roster, but it's not. it doesn't feel like they've freshened things up at all either, you know? Yeah, no, it's fair. And the Jets, obviously, in that division as well, like the laughing stock of the NFL for a fair few years, but at least they're trying to get their house in order at this stage. An impressive coach in Robert Sala. And Zach Wilson, 
like bolted to the top of the draft there and they've put all their faith in him. So having had a few busted flushes at quarterback, hopefully for their sake, this one actually clicks for them. Uh, number five in the pick six, McVeigh watch, Sean McVeigh Keane. And this is the best division in football without question. I think um, Matthew Stafford has, has come in there and after Sean McVeigh has manoeuvred, well, he manoeuvred his team to a Super Bowl, has had them in contention for most of his tenure in the NFL, an impressive sort of guy, turned down the big bucks to host Monday Night Football because he sees something in this team. And of course he would because they've spent a huge amount of money on their first choice players. Isn't great depth there, but if they can keep everybody healthy with Stafford in, in situ here, I think they've, they've got a great chance. They're going to be fun to watch. I think there's a tendency, and it's not just in football, but there's a tendency in life when you make decisions and you make a, a wrong decision or you're invested in someone who is a certain way. After you move on from them, you go to the complete opposite and you go to the opposite extreme and you find yourself buying into something that's completely not what you failed at before. And that's the best way of describing the Jared Goff-Matthew Stafford trade. Uh, it, there was, it was clear that McVeigh was, was frustrated with how limited Goff was playing outside of structure. The only positive plays they had were plays that McVeigh completely structured out and built for him. And with Stafford, you'll get a guy who can make big plays outside of structure. Everyone has seen his highlights at this stage. He's been in the league for so long. Like He can make any throw you want him to make, and he'll do it from the left flat, he'll do it from the right flat, he'll do it after running around in a circle behind the line of scrimmage, holding the ball for six seconds. And it's incredible to watch. But in the play-to-play, -play, uh, the efficiency aspects of the game, he's not going to be as consistent within the, the structure, which is going to be create an interesting dynamic because McVeigh is obviously a little bit of a control freak as well. He wants everything to be run in very specific ways. So if they, if the dynamic, if the if Stafford makes too many mistakes in doing what playing the way he plays, which has been the story of his career, you could see that blowing up in itself a little bit. But if he actually get, finds the perfect blend of the highlight plays and McVeigh sets him up for the easy throws that, that keeps the offense ticking over, then you could have a real, really interesting team. And Aaron Donald's best years won't be going to waste like it feels like they have been over, over the last couple of seasons. Uh, I think they had to make a move. They've always been aggressive. The decision to go for Stafford was probably the best option they had. But it's also not necessarily a great option just because it was the best one they have. At the very least, it shook up the league and it, it gives us some really interesting stuff to watch, to watch early in the year. Because I think we're going to know very quickly if this is going to work out really well or if it's going to be uh, just a bit of a, a disjointed team or a, an, un, uh, an incomplementary group or uh, tandem, I guess. Yeah, and I mentioned how stacked this division is. Like I think we had, we had a very similar conversation with yourself and Jer this time last year where we kind of were... I think people were picking the Cardinals as their sleeper team, even though if they are being picked as a sleeper team by everybody, then they're no longer a sleeper team. But this year, I think everybody sees them coming and they're going to be right there with them on, on paper, at least when you look at J.J. Watt. like He's not the force of yore, but he's still a, a top name added to that team, alongside Chandler Jones, who's back and looking well. And A.J. Green's in there. Like I know DeAndre Hopkins, Kyler Murray, like they're fairly star-studded. And then you look elsewhere in the division, 49ers were injury rabid last year, but they've they've got most of their pieces back, and the Seattle Seahawks are always there. Like since Russell Wilson's got in there, they've been a regular in the postseason. So he was one. I think he got a little bit of the Brady's about him, where he was looking for greener pastures, thinking if Tom Brady can go elsewhere and win, maybe I can too. But he's staying. So I don't know if you want to rank these four in order, Keen, or where do you think this is going to shake out in terms of one to four? Um, my God, I, I think to be honest, it's this is the toughest decision to do that. That's probably why you asked me this question. Um, <laughs> I, I'd probably go Seattle just because you've got that proven nature at head coach and quarterback. I'd probably put them one. 
I'd probably put the Ram, or sorry, I'd probably put the 49ers too, just because at some point they're going to transition between Garoppolo and Trey Lance. Maybe they'll hold off for the full year, and if they do that, then you're starting Jimmy Garoppolo for the full year, so that's not necessarily a positive. Um, then I'd look at uh, the Cardinals and then the Rams. Yes, yeah, so it, it's the whole the whole division is right next to each other though. So that what those list is that list is pretty meaningless. The most interesting aspect of these four teams to me is the Cardinals because. You didn't even mention James Conner there, who they've added as well. Like that's they've they've made some really good moves, and on paper, you look at that team, you're like, yeah, that's a really good team. They should be great. Kyler Murray looks fantastic. Like he's going to be a really good quarterback. DeAndre Hopkins is DeAndre Hopkins. We don't need to even mention anything further. JJ Watt maybe still has a year left in him. Maybe he doesn't need to be a great player because Chandler Jones is there anyway. So it's just a compliment. But the problem is the head coach. Cliff Kingsbury spent all of last season running five, six, seven, eight-yard curl routes which makes no sense. That's a, a route where you run five yards upfield, you stop, you turn around, and you look at your quarterback. And he didn't do that, just do that with one receiver on the field. He was often doing it with three out of his four receivers, four out of his five, or sometimes even all five. And that's the basis of his offense, which you don't need to be a genius to understand. You've got a, uh, a quarterback who's got a rocket arm, throws incredible deep passes, throws incredible intermediate passes, and can run around when there's space created from underneath to rack up yards, like probably the best since Michael Vick. Well, actually, Lamar's there, so maybe outside of Lamar, the best since Michael Vick. But like, if you have just your receivers running five yards downfield, that's not opening the offense up. It's not creating space, and it's not giving them opportunities to create big plays. So if they can move away from that style of play calling, this could be one of the best teams in the league just because that's how talented they are at the top. But if they stick with the same type of play calling, they'll probably be looking at the 500 team like they were last year. What they finished eight and eight, nine and seven, seven and nine, whatever they were. Either way, they underachieved last year. This is a team on paper that should be winning 12, 13, and 14 games, and the head coach just limits them back down to nine, eight, and seven. If that happens again in this division, that that actually could be that, that could drop a little bit lower again just because of the quality of the teams around them. Yeah, no, it's. it's it's going to be really interesting. It's a hard one to call. I did uh, kind of throw that grenade your way because it's, it's a difficult one to rank. As you said, finishing fourth in this division could be no. There could be no shame about it because it's going to be so hotly contested that I think it's going to be down to the wire. To be honest, and then we move be on. Better to, in the NFC East. Oh, you said it. And then number six in the pick six is Law and Order, and Trevor Lawrence has done the unthinkable. Keen, he's made the Jacksonville Jaguars must-watch television. So I think we're all looking forward to seeing how he gets on. Like in my sort of, I don't know. Must be 14 years following the NFL at this stage. He's probably the most highly touted draft prospect I can remember in terms of he was flagged from a few years out. And I think everybody's excited to see how he does. Whether the Jaguars can actually make some noise in this division, I'm not sure. The Titans are there, obviously. They've added Julio Jones, which anytime you add Julio Jones, it's a, it's a good thing. And they were fairly strong until the Ravens, you know, kicked them out of business last year. The Colts have uh, Wentz is back. And with Frank Reich, so we'll see how they get on as a pair. And then we we don't have to go into the, the car crash of uh, the Texans again, but I don't think they'll be in the conversation necessarily. So Trevor Lawrence on the whole, like I don't know if you've seen much of him in pre-season, but on paper at least, are you expecting him to live up to the hype? I mean, you've just got to look at him. He, like, he won all through high school. He won all through Clemson. Like, he was undefeated for seasons, won national championships. And then he even managed to win the quarterback competition with Gardner Minshew. Like, who <laughs> could have seen that coming? Uh, he, Lawrence, 
I'm I really like him individually. I think he's got some inconsistent issues that Zach Wilson and Mac Jones don't have. He's more of an athlete though. He's got a really incredible arm. He makes good he's makes good decisions when he's throwing the ball, but he makes some questionable decisions with his movement within the pocket and how he reacts to pressure. That's going to be a big detail moving forward. I've kind of mentioned this a few times with other teams, but the interesting aspect here is how the quarterback connects to the coaching staff because this coaching staff is so unproven. We don't know what we're getting from them. It's like Urban Meyer and it's what he what his style is or what his philosophy is will become evident. But if you just look at the team, James Robinson there looks like Trevor Setienne actually was meant to come in as a rookie, but he's injured now. But James Robinson comes in there. He can set the tone for the offense. If they want to protect Lawrence for a while, they can rely on the running game. They have receivers there who are good enough to uh, get the ball underneath and easy throws and turn him into big plays. I think LaVisca Chenault could be a Percy Harvin type of player. He's going to have a big year if they use him correctly, but it all keeps coming back to that. If they use these guys correctly, they'll be in the mix as a... a like, for Jaguars, if you're an 8-9-10 win team, that's a huge victory for you. That's that's desperate. Like, that's, you'd be desperate for that. But even if you're 5, 6, and 7 wins and Trevor Lawrence has a good year, you're still absolutely delighted because you're just looking long-term. And I do think this team is actually capable of winning a lot of games because defensively, they have a lot of talent there as well. You've got the other Josh Allen, the guy that no one knows about the defensive end there. And you've got uh, Miles Jack, who's still there as well in the defensive front, who's a phenomenal football player. So there's a lot of talent there. There's a lot of uh, pieces to work with. It's just a matter of how this new coaching staff and this college coaching staff, I guess, as you would call it, like the last team to do this, well, actually, the last team to do this was Cliff Kingsbury, but even he wasn't comparable because he was a failed college coach. Before that, you're going back to guys like Chip Kelly, I guess. So there's not necessarily a precedent. Uh, Pete Carroll, I suppose, is the, is the precedent as of success. So if the Jaguars have the next Pete Carroll, hey, this could be really interesting. They could be really good really quickly. If they've got the next Kingsbury or, or Chip Kelly, it could be ugly pretty quickly as well. So we'll find out. And like, like most things, we'll find out over the first four to six weeks. And Lawrence hopefully will live up to his potential, up to his hype. I don't personally see him as that same generational player. Like Andrew Luck, to me, was a better prospect. Uh, a couple of other guys over the years have been better prospects too. But I do see the potential for him to be one of the best quarterbacks in the league too. Good stuff. And I didn't make the pick six this time because I'm sure I'm going to be inundating the listeners with Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson chat for the rest of the season. We did touch on them at the top. Just on those two divisions, Keen, the Ravens and Chiefs, are you favouring them? Or can you see, like the Browns have been obviously well hyped for the last few seasons, but you'd expect the Chiefs to come through in the West. Is that the way you're seeing it? Yeah, I think those divisions aren't necessarily that interesting because you can write off a couple of teams in there. The interesting aspects are like the, the Broncos having Teddy Bridgewater, I think is actually going to be a really big big uh, upgrade for them. And I think it's going to settle the offense a little bit with Von Miller coming back on the defensive side. They could be better than people think. Do I think they'll be a playoff team? Probably not. They, probably, they definitely won't be a contender. So there's limitations there. Justin Herbert, if he gets protected from his offensive line, was phenomenal as a rookie. He could propel that Chargers team to actually contend with the Chiefs. The Raiders are always kind of interesting, even if they're not good. Um, the Steelers, going back with Ben Roethlisberger, just seems crazy to me. I don't think they're going anywhere. If the Bengals just get Joe Burrow healthy for a year, they'll be happy. So they don't really care too much about how many wins they get. And then you look at the Ravens. Like The Ravens are really interesting to me, and it's not just because we're a Ravens-obsessed show. But the, the fact that J.K. Dobbins has gone out and a couple of receivers are missing as well right now, that's going to put a lot of pressure on Lamar. But there's a huge difference this year compared to last year, where the offensive line has been rebuilt. They've now got, to me, at least four positions on that offensive line that are settled with at least average starters. And that, if you know anything about offensive linemen in the NFL, having four average starters is like a major uh, a major win. It's a, a major positive. And fortunately for them, Zeitler, Ronnie Stanley, those are much uh, above average. Those are really good players. So if you have 
an offensive line that's effective, Lamar's going to make the running back job, running back's job easier regardless of who's starting there because he's going to draw so much attention. And then he's going to make the wide receiver's job easier as well because the running game will be, or the passing game will be built off of the success of the running game. I think that Ravens offense, assuming health moving forward after the first couple of injuries, will look a lot more like the one of two years ago than it did of last year. And I did mention to you yesterday when we were chatting about this show that I might give you get you to give our fantasy football listeners maybe one player, a rookie, or maybe a lesser light who they might pick up in fantasy football, or have any of the sort of under-the-radar rookies caught your eye heading into this season? Uh, in terms of fantasy, like obviously Pitts is an obvious one, but I, I really like Tony in New York. I Hopefully he's going to be a really effective receiver. Jamar Chase has had, uh, really struggled in preseason, which has kind of uh, dampened his excitement a little bit, so you might get him a little bit more value right now. He's going to be a really, really good player. I'm not concerned about early drops or struggles in preseason. Once he gets on the field with Burrow and T. Higgins across from him, he'll be really effective. In terms of non-fantasy rookies... Uh, Christian Barmore is similar to Aaron Donald to me in New England. Obviously not Aaron Donald. He's going to be that interior pass rusher. I am fascinated to see how he goes because the Patriots drafted a guy called Dominic Easley a couple of years ago who was going to be incredible but had three ACL surgeries. So his career was basically ended before it began. He played for the Rams a little bit after. And then Rashawn Slater in uh, Los Angeles with the Chargers, he's going to be Justin Herbert's left tackle. And if they put a decent offensive line in front of Justin Herbert, the, the opportunities there are endless. The problem is... Slater was really inconsistent in college. He's great in space, great getting out in screens, great as a run blocker, but he gets beaten up a little bit when he's getting tight and, and he's uh, in a the battle of wills, I guess, or he's, he's got a little bit of limited strength. So how they use him is going to be vital there as well. If that works out, the Chargers could take a massive step forward. But we say that every year about the Chargers. They're always our dark horse team and they never actually do anything. So who really knows what I'm talking about? No, you're 100% right. The Chargers are always everybody's second team and they actually need all those fans, came because there'll be no one going to their games, which is actually a sad reality in Los Angeles. A few comments in on YouTube. Um, Timmy Keane reckons Wooden Spoon for Texans is incoming. I think we can all get on board with that. Terrence is going for the Rams to beat the Bills for the Super Bowl, but he's biased as a Rams fan. Keane, I'm going to give you the same sort of task there. Who's going to the Super Bowl? Oh, is it boring to say the same as last year? Because it feels like it's going to be the same as last year. Um, maybe the Ravens can somehow beat the Chiefs, but it doesn't seem that way. Oh, it's actually really difficult to try and pick out a, a dark horse team. It's just because it feels like the Bucks are so well-rounded and it just feels like the Chiefs have so much offensive power. Listen, if, if you're right, I'm going to play this back at the end of the year. If you're wrong, we'll just forget it ever happened. So you're going for... No, you'll definitely play it back if I'm wrong. That's what we always do on this show. 100%. Well, great stuff, Keen. We'll chat to you a bit week one on next Thursday's show. You've been listening to The Snap here on Off The Ball, brought to you as ever in association with the Aer Lingus College Football Classic, Nebraska versus Northwestern at the Aviva Stadium next summer. Check out collegefootballireland.com for more. See you next week. <laughs>